Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you happen to be sitting as my voice is coming into your ears. This is Trisha Lambert, co-host of Riddles in the Dark. Um, we are in what Corey is prone to say in his Mythgard Academy classes when the time is right, the penultimate that's right. Is that right? Penultimate? Yes. Penultimate, yeah. penultimate episode of the Riddles in the Dark game. Not of the Riddles in the Dark show, but of the Riddles in the Dark yes, game. Yes, it's the anti-penultimate episode of the Riddles in the Dark, uh, 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 Riddles, you know, segment. of the, Right, of the Riddles yeah. segment, because it's yeah. the penultimate of the Riddles, and yeah, then the right. exactly. ultimate show will be the review. So yes. if you're not sufficiently confused with that, <laughs> I'll work on confusing you. Yeah, um, yeah. Dave Kale, unfortunately, is not with us today. He uh, Last time he wasn't with us because he was at Comic-Con, which was, was an awesome reason not to be with us. Today, the reason is because he has work commitments, which is not as awesome a reason, but still something that we must live with. So That's we right. miss him dearly, and hopefully he'll be with us for the next two shows. And and the other person speaking, as I'm sure all of you know, is our wonderful token professor, Corey Olson. Good morning. Yeah, so we are approaching the end now of our the, the riddle portion of our show for the year um, at the point at which we will share, you know, right around uh, the beginning of September. I was about to say Labor Day, which would be meaningless for anyone outside of America. Um, uh, <laughs> right around then, we will be shifting uh, to doing analysis rather than uh, doing speculation about the coming film. Um, and, uh, of course, we've already had a little preview of that with the trailer that uh, was released and the, ex- the bonus trailer episode that we did uh, recently. Um, but uh, we're looking forward to doing more of that. And, of course, as you probably know, I am most of all looking forward to the great release of the Lego sets, but um, we will do all of those things later on. In the meantime, we have the riddle game to finish up. So just to kind of remind you of where we are with that, today, the topic of today's uh, episode is going to be the aftermath of the Battle of Five Armies. That is, we're, we're not focused yet on Bilbo's return journey. That's going to be the subject of our next episode in two weeks. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Bilbo's... Uh, return to the Shire, really that's going to be the place where we're going to be focusing on sort of where is the end of, of Bilbo's, you know, story, Bilbo's own character arc going to be. Um, and, you know, l- looking at what happens to him in the book and then thinking about how that's going to uh, be done in the film. Um, then we'll, we will, so that, that, that episode will have our last riddle and then we will have one more episode where we go back over and review all of the riddles and conundra for, the, for this year. And at that point, it will be time to submit your final and binding votes for the riddle game for the year. So uh, um, get uh, get 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 ready to start reviewing. You know, start studying. You know, you can you can you'll you'll, you'll be ready to submit your official entry uh, for our riddle game episode, and then the votes will close for that. Um, that's like a, a couple weeks into September, right? We'll let people vote. Um, yeah, yeah. So our last episode, the one we'll be reviewing, will be the fifth of September, which is a Friday. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking we could be generous and give them two weeks. What do you think? So by the next Riddles in the Dark episode, generally speaking. Generally speaking, yeah. Or until the next trailer comes out. <laughs> At which point we'll cut it. Well, I mean, you know, we could. I mean, it could be a week. It, it's just. It, what, you know, we can kind of figure that out, but um, yeah. two weeks. Too. I mean, we want to give people who who aren't here live, obviously, a chance to listen to the podcast before they vote. So that's the main thing. Um, 
but yeah, and and then we'll get to do analysis. And the you know the the downside, I suppose, is well, you know, you have to wait quite a number of months before we get to the you know who what are the right answers. But there's a whole lot of fun between the you know the yeah. time you put your your uh, submissions in and the time we decide on the right answers. So no worries. And and actually along the way, as we analyze. Likely, as in previous years, we'll get some of those riddles answered during the analysis part of the year, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Well, that that'll definitely be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, see, as Neil says, it depends on how quickly the podcast gets posted. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to say, okay, we're going to let you know the deadline once we know when Trisha's got the podcast up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and uh, Daniel Barris suggested, uh, as we do, in fact, plan to do, uh, to yes. review the Desolation right. of Smaug Extended uh, right. uh, Edition. And we're, we're, that's definitely one of the things that we would like to do. We kind of ran out of time for doing that last year, but last that was year. in part yeah. because, um, you know, so we, we weren't able to really have the Extended Edition episode that we wanted to have last time. Uh, we kind of rushed through it. Um, but yeah. that was largely because we were still trying to squeeze in riddles at that point right. in the year. Right. So, And also, if we can, you know, at least at least listen to the director commentary, which I'm assuming we're going to have like we did before, you know, because there was a lot of information in the director's commentary for the first movie, and, and then comment on that. Um, but you're right. You know, I was, I was reflecting the other day. It's like, hey, it's taken us three years to actually get this right. Right, exactly. <laughs> was, like, yeah. we're, we're actually, we actually mastered it like the third year. So we should probably always remember, you know, that... Things will probably, you know, things like this will probably take like three years to, to, to <laughs> exactly, you know, exactly. <laughs> Maybe people could stumble to uh, good methods quicker than we do, but you know, it takes us three years apparently. So, um, uh, Neil points out, by the way, just for anybody that wants to watch it, there is there has been a little clip out on one of the extended edition scenes, um, which you guys might enjoy watching. And they're actually crossing an enchanted stream, so. Um, We'll comment on that in more detail once the game is over. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. No, that's. Uh, um, it will be. Uh, I'm very. I'm very <laughs> excited to watch like the two, three hours of extra footage we're going to get in the extended that's edition. Right. So. Um, <laughs> Philip Medley said, "You'd better hope they do the Children of Huron so you can do it right next time." <laughs> can you imagine doing like a riddle game on the Children of Huron? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Uh, I would just be depressed after every episode. Yeah, it's see, it's hard because you know, on the one hand, the yeah, the children of Huron would be difficult, but I still maintain it is the most obviously filmable of all of the yes, Silmarillion yeah, stories. I, I mean, so. the children of Huron would make an excellent film. Um, yes, I, I really think so. But um, but yeah, man, it would be a dark film. For Oof, sure. Yeah. Boy. That would be tough. But I don't know. I'm holding out for, you know, it'd be great. I mean, I still think Baron and Luthien would be good, except there'd be a whole lot of stuff that they'd have to fill and make up and fill in in the story. It's yeah. not like movie length, you know what I mean? But I mean, I think the reason, one of the reasons I'd like to see Baron and Luthien is because I want to see Huan on screen. That's really the main reason <laughs> I want yeah. to see Baron and Luthien. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I really, uh, I have... One of the things, to me, one of the great impacts of Game of Thrones is that I have really fallen in love with the way in which that mechanism, you know, the mechanism of yeah. the, the episodic TV series. That's like Philip Lord was just saying, yeah, episodic, yeah. more suited to television. That's right. that, the, the kind of possibilities that that gives you for adaptation. Um, 
you know, not to because you know, in the old days, you know, there when something was made into a TV show, it was transformed into something fundamentally different by the means right. of that is to say, you know, because like there was this sense of like we need to transform it into like an open ended thing that can just be a, an ongoing TV show rather than simply saying no, we're going to adapt this story with the same sort of trajectory. Right. Of the of the books, you know that is you know so that the, there's there's going to be a clear end point, you know, of this series. It's not like this is going to be a series that's going to run for ten years, um, you know. It, it's going to go as well. Here I am saying like there's an end point and and not running for ten years, and we're talking about you know a, a, a Ger Martin series, which who knows how long it will be or when <laughs> if ever it will end. So perhaps that's a bad example, but you know what I mean. That is to say, you know, it, it, because it, it's it's very different from putting on a TV show which which is open ended you know which does not have right. a plot trajectory right. that it you know a, a, an end point of its plot that it that it's moving towards um, but this concept of the you know not not a mini series but not an open ended show either that really you know does that trajectory mm-hmm. that um, I, I really like that vehicle for some of these things so I still say that if uh, if if ever the time comes um, when the Silmarillion material gets adapted for film, I hope it's done in that way. I think that would be the best way yeah. to do it. Not that I think yeah. that's likely. And, 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 and remember, as I keep saying, and as I've been saying for years, this will never happen while Christopher Tolkien is alive. I, right. I guarantee right. you that it's, it's like one of the things about life that you can absolutely count on. Death, count taxes. On, like gravity. <laughs> yeah. Gravity, death, taxes, and Christopher Tolkien will never approve the Silmarillion film rights. Like, those are pretty much, like, what you can take to the bank. And, um... Uh, so, uh, but, but, but anyway, I mean, you know, he's not going to live forever and I don't know, you know, he may, he may manage to sort of completely seal it up, um, even, uh, even after his death, but I don't know. But anyway, so I, I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, I, nobody misunderstands me when I'm talking about Silmarillion yeah. film stuff and how unlikely it is that, that anything like that would actually be allowed to happen. probably take a few generations removed from Christopher, you know, not necessarily next generation. Yeah, it might. Probably, well, we'll see, but couple, yeah. Know. Yeah, I don't know. But but anyway, if it did ever happen, that's how I think it should happen. Outlander is coming up tomorrow. Men in kilts. Great. (laughs) Great. Can't wait. (laughs) And that's the reason I thought of it is it's another book, you know, like, I mean, it's another potential, like, Go to to Thrones. Go to Thrones. Which is, it's a long series of books, and I'm going to be curious, I've only really read the first book, and I'm going to be curious to see if they do the same sort of thing, which is really stick to the story, and not worry about it having to be, you know, come to an end kind of thing. It's going to be really interesting. And Graham McTavish, that's my new crush. Graham McTavish. I mean, (laughs) he was great as as a hobbit, but he's really good in a kilt. He's just. <laughs> I love men in kilts. I just love when I used to. I used to go on business trips to Edinburgh, and I'd walk down. There's this one called Rose Alley, and the young men who would wear like uh, rugby shirts with their kilts, you know, and and trainers with knee socks. I would just walk behind them and just go, Ugh, you know, awesome eye <laughs> <My> candy. <laughs> it's probably more about me than you'd want to really want to know. So anyway, we were talking about the <laughs> aftermath of the Battle of Five Armies today. We're, we're, we are, By the way, we, I want to point out that you sound much more awake. Yeah, I'm now. awake. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally awake. I, I've, I've been awake for minutes and minutes now. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> aftermath of the Battle of Five Armies. Okay, so 
what I want to be focusing, you know, for, I want to do, of course, what I always do, which is talk about uh, the book stuff first. And there are several, um, there's several, th- you know, th- you know. Re- remember the big picture that we've, I've been, you know, been glancing at as we've been talking, you know, ab- about the the book stuff over the last few episodes. Um, the 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 change in the Hobbit happens. You know, a lot of people will talk about the. You know the Battle of Five Armies itself as you know a, 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 a moment of real tonal shift uh, in the Hobbit. You know where everything is. You know we're in, we're in a very different world than we were. Um, you know back in chapter one or even you know up in chapter like seven or something like you know chapter seven is Bjorn's house, um, and that's true. But to me, the change happens the moment when the Hobbit really shifts gears um, stylistically and uh, and and just sort of in in the in the scope and focus of its plot is chapter ten when they crawl out of the barrels and go into Lake Town. Um, and and the main reason I say that is that that's when the story ceases to be. Um, ceases to be an adventure, a treasure hunt story, right? That kind of that fairy tale. Um, you know, there's dragon guarded treasure, and you know it, it is the treasure of our ancestors, and we want to go recover it. Um, and becomes a very, very different kind of story. One of the passages that always really jumps out at me as uh, as as a really interesting indicator of this is um, in the 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 second to last chapter called the Return Journey. Um, and it's it's after the battle, and Dan's just become king, and uh, uh, and the narrator says there was, of course, no longer any question of dividing the horde in such shares as had been planned to Balin and Dwalin, and Dory and Nori and Ori, and Owen and, and Owen and Glowen and Bifer and Bulfer and Bomber, hyphen, dash or to Bilbo. And I, that that sentence actually I always find very interesting, like. Why have we relisted the dwarves? I mean, to remind us that three of them are dead now and no longer, no longer there. But it's 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 a it's to me sort of a fascinating pause to sort of look back at the old story, right? Remember the comical list of dwarves that have you know that have made it this far. Um, you know, remember the frankly what what now you know in chapter eighteen sounds like a frankly silly idea. You know, now when we look back at chapter one, where they're all like, yeah, we'll recover this huge treasure, which is the wealth of two nations, and we'll divide it up into 14th shares and each take our own 14th share home of this enormous giant treasure. Um, and uh, and that looks really silly. That sounds com- totally dumb in retrospect at this point. Um, and um, anyway, so... Uh, th- the moment where that shift, I think, really happens, as I said, is in chapter 10. That's when the story become, ceases to be a treasure hunt and becomes a Return of the King story. And we begin to hear about not just the recovery of their treasure, but the recovery of their kingdom and the destined return and restoration of the kingdom under the mountain. And what's more, we begin to hear about, you know, to learn about the region and the impact on the region. We see Lake Town and we see, you know, the the, the, the evidence of the, the, the larger city that used to be um, of Esgaroth. And, of course, we see the ruins of Dale. 
So we've got the human lands and their own prophecies that they retain in songs about the return of the king under the mountain and what that means to them and, and, and what that would mean to the region, even though they don't seem to be, you know, necessarily under the authority of the dwarven king. But yet the return of the king under the mountain is, is sort of the key to the prosperity of their region uh, and the flourishing of their own city and their own lands as well. Um, so... The aftermath of the Battle of Five Armies is very much the rest, you know, that that foreordained restoration. You know, it is the it is the fulfillment of all of those old prophecies. Um, and again, it just goes it goes way beyond anything that we were led to anticipate in Chapter One when the you know when we first set out on the adventure when when adventures intrude themselves uh, into into Bilbo's sitting room. Um, but the kind of adventure that he's on, neither he nor we as readers really know at that point. So what I want to focus on in talking about the aftermath of the Battle of Five Armies is really is really this question. How, uh, you know, how is the film going to handle the this this concept of the restoration? The first there are several different sort of elements that I want to that I want to talk about there. Uh, and the first one is the question of the king of the kingship of Erebor, you know, the, the kingship under the mountain. Um, because, of course, uh, one um, one question that we have, which has been raised by previous riddles and previous discussions, is how exactly do we think they're going to handle the kingship under the mountain? Now, um, we manage this in the book with the advent of of Dan, and he comes in and becomes king. He's uh, he's Thorin's cousin, so uh, you know he's still of the line of Durin, and we're still able, to, you know, it's still able to be satisfactorily the restoration of of the kingdom, even though Thorin and Feely and Keely are all dead. Um, I have have gone on record. I've officially voted uh, in the earlier episode that I don't think they're going to kill Feely in the film. I think that Feely's going to survive. And the main reason I think that um, is basically related to exactly the kinds of issues that we're talking about here in this episode, because I think the choice that they made in in viewing the story from the end rather than from the beginning, rather than have it start off as a juvenile fairy tale which grows into something more, they start with a something more from the beginning. They start, you know, they tell the whole story with full knowledge, not only of the end of The Hobbit, but also of The Lord of the Rings. So we're getting that Return of the King restoration of the people um, story from the very beginning. Now, this means that I think it's not going to be very satisfying. So here I'm just kind of reiterating the argument I made a couple episodes ago. I don't think it's going to be very satisfying to bring in, you know, Dan, this character whom we've never met before, halfway through the third film, put him on the throne of Thorin and Thran and Thror and say, that's a satisfying, you know, uh, end point to that story. You know, I don't think it's going to be for people generally a satisfying ending to that story. I think in order to really wrap that story up in a way which which is sort of satisfying, uh that it's going to need to be um it's going to need to be feely. It's it's going to need to be 
the actual line. Um, now, of course, you know, Fili is his nephew and not his son, so there's still going to be a sort of a shift in the line of kings. Um, there's still, but I think that, in a sense, though, that still kind of works. I mean, having Thorin be a kind of endpoint um, still seems to me to be symbolically appropriate. But, um, but I just, I, I don't see, you know, and now. Dan is king and, and, and everything is happy. That's what we get in the book and and I think that I mean, I, I think that that works in the book. I'm not sure that that's going to work um, in the film. Um, and I, I think for a second about the reasons why I think that. Why I think it would it does work in the book but wouldn't work as well on the film. I, I th- The reason I think that is that the concept of Dan, the concept of his cousin from the Iron Hills is um, the support of their kinsmen has a more I don't know, it's it, it seems to me to have a greater kind of mythic impact in the book, you know um like no, we don't know this character. I mean, goodness knows we're introduced to him very, very rarely. Uh, I mean, you know, ver- that is to say, very, very little in the book. Um, so it's not like it's more satisfying in that way. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even sure why I find it more satisfying um, in 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 the book, but I do. Um, but on, f- I think perhaps it's the way in which the f- a film adaptation really attaches us to what we see, you know, and and you get um, people have a, a, a I don't know people have a different kind of relationship with with characters. It seems to me in a film than they do in a, than they do in a book, um, and it just it seems to me that uh, it's it's just it's just not going to be satisfying. Um, for Dan to come in and become king. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeremy says, is it possible I just can't stand the idea of Billy Connolly sitting on the throne? <laughs> I knew somebody was going to ask that question. <laughs> uh, I admit I do find that idea repugnant. I don't want to punish Dan the character uh, for the actor that they have cast as him. I have... Um, uh, yeah, but... Um, you know, Serena's actually saying what was kind of on my mind, mm-hmm. which is that it seems to me that if Diane was going to become, uh, you know, a significant figure at this point, we would have seen him on film before now. Whereas, like Serena says, we've seen Feely in movies one and two. We know, it's like you said earlier, we know Feely. It just seems from a, from a film aspect, or a storytelling aspect even, you know, we would have seen Diane before this in some way or another um, even if it was just as a flashback and as an old bazaar or something you know what I mean the, I, so I think your point is well taken which is it just seems strange Billy Connolly not not even including that aspect of it but just <laughs> you know just because that's just totally extracurricular I mean it's, nowhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's like you know that's a whole nother episode uh, yeah. and who may or may not now be on a battle pig I mean it looks like he may be on a battering ram instead it's, but, yeah, it's a battle um, sheep clearly battle sheep yes I just you know I just 
I see him as, you know, I can get him coming in to, to, as an aide and sort of that, that completion of that conversation they had at the unexpected party about how nobody else would come and now that's kind of handled. But for him then to step into the throne, I, I just, it just doesn't seem like it would make sense in the, in the story that Jackson's telling. Yes, that I think, I think that that touches on what I, what I was failing to put my finger on before which is the relationship between the company that we know and have traveled with throughout the story and the other dwarves of their kinship. Um, in, um, in the book, from the beginning, the, uh, the, we know that Thorin has other relatives, and there is this sense of solidarity among them. It's never explained why they're not coming along or helping. They don't seem to be wanted, you know, it's not like Thorne is sitting there saying, oh, if only we had more assistance from more of our kindred, but they wouldn't come. There's no glimmer of anything like that, of course, in the book. Um, this is right. just, this is, a, this, is a, this is a small term quest. Now, this has to change later on, and this is why when you read The Quest of Erebor, for instance, we see that this has changed, right? And we, we are introduced to a Thorin who is making plans like a king, and Gandalf telling him that that's foolish and, and inappropriate for his situation, but um, uh, but he's not thinking in that way like a king um, in, uh, in, in, in the book, in The Hobbit, but he does talk about his kindred. Um, you know, and there is this sense of, you know, sort of the solidarity of the dwarves. Um, you know, when he talks about how, uh, you know, they paid out... Uh, um, the, the goblins uh, of Moria and they need to take thought for the necromancer and Gandalf is like, um, you know, don't be, don't be a fool, he's way beyond you. Um, but, but again, that idea of Thorin still saying, like, I'm going to call up my kinsmen and we're going to go after that guy, right? That's the sense in which we are led from the beginning to think about the other dwarves, you know, of Thorin's kinsmen. And then when they get to the Lonely Mountain... And they start singing their aggressive songs and, 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 and every, you know, again, there's this sense of, and now the Dwarven Kingdom, you know, the, these, these other dwarves out there who are ready with, at need to come to Thorin's side, now they're actually going to come and they're going to be, re, you know, they're going to be reunited and they're going to be, re, you know, that, that kingdom which has been dispersed is going to be reestablished once we get that emphasis in those last chapters. So then when Dan comes... It doesn't feel like, oh, and now this guy shows up out of nowhere, right? No, it's like the fulfillment of those hints. You know, now we finally see in action, um, you know, this this solidarity of the dwarves that has been suggested from chapter one. Um, and so that's why I think I find it satisfying. I, I'm fine with the fact that Dan, whom we don't know at all um, in the in the in in the book in the in the published Hobbit. Um, he becomes king, but but again, that's okay because it's it's sort of an expression of this of this dwarven solidarity, and that's okay. But in the film, from the beginning, we've been we've been led very differently, right? We were introduced right, right. to the dwarven community with the information that they were refusing to help Thorin, you know. So right. now, uh, and and so the whole question with the Arkenstone is like, I guess somehow some change of mind, some change of heart is going to have to be brought about uh, directly or indirectly through the Arkenstone. Um, so it, it, I think that's, that's the, the, the heart of my resistance to 
Dan is king under the mountain because it's like the guy doesn't deserve it. You know, he he was he he's he he's he's just you know in, in the film world he's a Johnny come lately to this story. You know, he's he's uh, was like oh well now I'm going to come in and help. You know, exactly. But, well now that I might be able to get the crown. Exactly, exactly. And it just it's hard to see how that could be done now in a way that doesn't make the the idea of Dan on the throne seem a little distasteful. He's not earned That's it. That's true. Yeah. You know, plus, um, you know, we're just thinking about, saying about the Arkenstone and a change. You know, that scene in Lake Town when Feely opts to stay behind yes. in the face of Thorin's disapproval could actually foreshadow a change like that, where perhaps the Arkenstone does get buried with Thorin, Feely takes over as king, and, and now Arkenstone-less you know, says, you know, makes a statement of something like, you know, the Arkenstone will no longer be the symbol. I don't know. You know, yeah. but in other words, he will take a different direction, similar to what we kind of saw, you know, in the Lake Town confrontation. Right. Right. I mean, I could see that. I could see that. I mean, Sander points out, you know, won't this take away from, oh, and it, it just buried. Hold on. Won't this take away from the, you know, Keeley's death being the, the uh, ending of the line of Durin. But, you know, I don't know that that's really been that, um, emphasized in the movie really has it yeah um well no it's not i mean the line of durin correct me if i'm wrong but the primary way in which the line of durin as you know like that phrase has come up that concept has come up has been in the fact of like azog's enmity to the line of durin it's it's, it was brought up in that context um but there hasn't been the focus of the of the of the film story has been on the destruction of the um, of the kingdom of Erebor and you know the desire for its restoration right. and the restoration of the home of Thorin's people. You know, you think about the big speech from Bilbo at the end of film one, right? About about home and how right, you know, they've lost right. their home and he's going to try to help them get their home back. That's been the emphasis. It's not been on right. the, the kingly line. Um, and there's been, been very little emphasis on Durin. Thror has been essentially the head of the line, you know, as right. far for all intents and purposes. Not that he's the originator of the line, but again, I mean, that's the, the, the film story goes back to Thror. The film story doesn't really go back to Durin. Um, so I agree. Uh, I agree with you that that doesn't, the, the the sense of sort of the tragedy of that, um, I don't think is 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 something that's that we've been set up to to feel that really strongly um, in the film. Um, and, and and actually, home and family again back to yeah. that confrontation between Philly and Thorin. You know, he's staying because it's his brother who's in peril, and so that sort of underscored that as well. So that seems to be a continuation of sort of that theme that you know that we saw in the in the first film as well. Yeah, Yana um, says that he he can see the scene in Lake Town as a setup for the line dying. I mean, me too. It's not that I can't imagine Feely dying. I can, um, I, 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 and because Yana, you're you're right. It certainly could uh, work that way. Basically, again, the question of you know, Feely saying, no, I will show you what being a king is really about. And, you know, it's really about putting yourself in jeopardy and being willing to sacrifice yourself for your people. Um, so I, absolutely, I could totally see that working. It's not that I can't see Feely dying on the battlefield. 
it's that I can't see him being dead afterwards. That's my problem. Um, I can't see... I can't see the story of the restoration of Erebor feeling like a satisfying, happy ending if Dan takes over. It, it would seem almost not exactly like a hostile takeover, but it wouldn't seem like the kingdom has really been restored, just a new kingdom established. And I don't know, like I said, I might be I might be wrong about that, but... Um, um, and Yana says, I can see Dan uh, redeeming himself by coming unbidden... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that I think everyone is still going to be feeling grouchy towards Dan at the end, um, you know, that there's going to be, like, recriminations. I'm sure they'll be awful grateful for his coming, and, and, and from the look of that first trailer, it appears that his his arrival is, is going to be dramatic, but um, this... But again, neither, neither his... Yeah. Neither his um... I mean, there is no redemption, really, because it just hasn't really been an emphasized point in the movie, other than being part of the of the people that wouldn't come. You know what I mean? It's like there's nothing to really redeem for Diane, because there's just not... I mean, he just hasn't really... Like I said earlier, you know, this hasn't been a piece of it, to where we're rooting for him to become the king, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's, he's literally going to come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, yeah, uh, Kyle McLellan, um, who... Whoa! Welcome, Kyle. I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, I yeah. haven't seen you here before. God, that. Why did that make me think of Dune, the movie Dune? <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin, right? right. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, Kyle says uh, giving the kingdom to Dan is slightly odd and dissonant, which in the book is thought provoking. Right. Um, and odd and di- dissonant is exactly Kyle. That's a great expression of what I feel Excellent. about it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, it would. It's not that it wouldn't work. It's not that you couldn't theoretically make it happen and it'd be all right. But it would seem dissonant. It would not, I, I, you know, thinking especially of, you know, I think of the the, the visual images, you know, the, the kind of the kind of mythic images we got about Erebor in the initial, you know, prologue sequence, you know, Bilbo's uh, Bilbo's voiceover historical flashback at the beginning of film one. Um, you know, we get these iconic images of Erebor in its glory and, you know, the king under the mountain and his son and his grandson and, you know, the Arkenstone set above the throne. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, we, we, we're given all of these these images to, to, to sort of cling to as the symbols of the Dwarven kingdom. And if that's restored, but it's just like some guy you know, that we don't really know, and we don't know, it's like, hi, I'm like uh, the cousin from out of town whom you don't know, but I'm officially king now, because I'm legally the heir. It's, it could work, but it's it's going to be dissonant. Um, whereas, if we see Feely on the throne, um, you know, with the Arkenstone over his head or, or not, um, you know, it, it would, going back to those earlier scenes, it would be satisfying. You know, it it would it it would close the loop in a way which I think is 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 important to do in the film. More important in that way because Kyle's right. In the book, Dan coming in is thought provoking. It expands our view of the dwarves. Yes. Right. It reminds us, which we've gotten hints of already on several occasions. It reminds us the dwarven kingdoms are more than this. Right. You know, it gives us a glimpse of the wider world. It is thought provoking in that way. In the film, it's not going to be like. You know, a glimpse of the wider world. It's gonna. It's just gonna be. Yeah, odd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So this is this is the, the 
so for the kingship of Erebor, this is the, these are all the reasons why I think Feely's going to live and why I think Feely's going to end up being. And Tauriel will take Feely's place in the sense of who's going to die, who who near Keely's going to die. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, it won't be the same yeah. as having Feely die. Yeah, but yeah. I'm thinking Tauriel's going to be the one to to bite it as opposed to Feely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. Uh, I've been. That's a given, right? Yeah, I've been predicting Toriel's <laughs> death since five minutes after I heard of her character. Yeah, me so, too. Me too. Uh, me too. yes. So I, a red uh, shirt, a red shirt. Red it's shirt. made of a red shirt. <laughs> Very elaborate red shirt. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Philip Menzies suggests I should start a petition to spare Feely's life. I think that's. <laughs> I think it's an excellent idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I'm I'm almost surprised that there haven't been there hasn't been any sort of tongue in cheek petition, you know, as sort of a parody of the Thorin petition. Uh, it would seem like that would be really really easy to do, you know. For you know, I don't know for like almost you know like for Anybody. like Bolg or something like that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, I would right. like start yeah. a petition to save Bolg. Um, uh, that's that's in fact that would be funny we should do that um let's let's start a petition to, to that peter jackson should preserve bolg's life because it's it's uh you know bolg's life is too precious a thing to lose uh in the to third lose, film yes. we're too attached to bolg as a character um yeah this would be that would be that would be a really funny parody anyway okay um so the, the but but of course you know the aftermath of battle of the battle of five armies is not just the restoration of the kingdom of erebor but as i said earlier the restoration of that you know the the, the returning of life to that entire region this thriving fertile kingdom of men which has been transformed into the desolation of smaug you know and that now the rivers will run with gold again and uh and and the region the life of the region will be restored and of course you know that's true in a like you know um you know political and economic sense but it's also you know there seems to be uh you know this sort of almost spiritual element to that um you know in Tolkien's story as we've seen in other places the ways in which the return of the king um you know <clears throat> sort of blesses the land in in ways which go beyond just uh the flowing of gold out of the coffers of uh, of, of 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 thror there in the mountain but um thinking about how they're going to handle this in the film we do have the restoration of the city of dale um and the rebuilding of Esgaroth. So, the, the, you know, those things both happen in the book. Bard, of course, does become king in Dale. The, you know, the line of Girion is restored, and the kingship of Girion is restored as well. So we have our second return of the king story. Um, and again, that's a change that happens in chapter 10. That happens partway through chapter 10, right? Or not, no, partway part through chapter 10. That happens, you know, later on in, 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 in chapter 15, when, um, or chapter 14. When uh, when when we act, when we get Smaug's death, when Bard uh, lives uh, and does not die in the uh, in the attack of 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 Smaug as he was originally going to do, that was um, that's of course one of the most dramatic edits that Tolkien did when he was working on the Hobbit manuscript, because um, originally he got as far as. Um, he got as far as the end of the uh, the the fight with the dragon, um, 
uh, and uh, you know, I mean, you'll remember the uh, the the passage when you know when when um, when Smaug crashes. You know, there was a hiss, a gushing whirl, and then silence, and that was the end of Smaug and Esgaroth, but not of Bard. Um, and when he originally wrote that sentence, he wrote, and that was the end of Smaug and Esgaroth and Bard, because Bard died. <laughs> Uh, and then, and he's, and what's more, he stopped there. Like that was the end, you know, when, when th- there were, there were a couple sort of phases in which Tolkien worked on this. He wrote most of the middle of the story, you know, from like basically a revised chapter one and chapter two, all the way straight through, you know, in one manuscript, he wrote it through, um, to, until that line. And at that line, he stopped and he paused for like a year in the writing of The Hobbit and came back to it. So the, 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 for, for a year, the manuscript of The Hobbit ended with the death of Smaug. You know, the, that was the end of Smaug and Esgaroth and Bard. And then in, when he returned to it a year later, the first thing he does is he goes back and crosses out and and writes but not instead and decides to make Bard the heir of Gurion and, and, uh, and, and, and the restored king uh, at the end. So we get... At you know, at the last second, as it were, a second king returning, uh, and uh, and 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 the restoration of the second kingdom. This, of course, is something that has been anticipated, also uh, you know, much more directly in the films, um, and um, you know, uh, so so how do we see that? happening what do we think is going to and and of course and we also have the issue with the master right um remember that bard actually permits the master of lake town to remain in command in esgaroth and he gives him gold from the you know from the gold that he receives from the dwarves the dwarves still give him a 14th share to honor the bargain that thorin made um and uh and and a, a portion of that gold Bard gives to the master to restore Lake Town, and of course the master runs off with it um, into the wilderness and dies. Um, but then, but you know, anyway, uh, Esgaroth is restored, and uh, you know, better than before. And people are, you know, people talk about the the rivers flowing with gold and the songs coming true. Um, so. Uh, how do we think this is going to come down? This sort of comes back to what role is the master of Lake Town going to have in film three? This is something I still don't really get or understand. And we've talked about this a little bit in the earlier episode when we were talking about, um, you know, Lake Town and, and, and the destruction of Lake Town. But, um, uh, but it's, it's, I really am not sure how they're going to handle that. Are we going to see a rebuilt Dale? Um, you know, or are we just going to leave them, you know, ready to to rebuild and you know the reestablished friendship of the of the people of Dale and the are we going to get the rebuilding of Lake Town? Um, I mean, it's one of the things that I think is an interesting consequence of the choice that Jackson made to make Lake Town so run down. You know, um, which I liked in one way. I mean, he, he made the the fact that the that the current Lake Town is but a poor shadow of you know the Lake Town that has been that had been in the past. He made that a really prominent feature. You know, in um, in uh, in the film, um, he he exaggerated it on both ends by making Lake Town more poor and squalid than it was in the book, 
and also by making the remnants of the older town far more pronounced. That's, of course, the, the huge stone pillars and remnants of arches and stuff that we saw so that, you know, we can see that there clearly in the old days used to be a really impressive stone city built there on the lake. Um, and uh, and now there's just this, like, you know, cluster of, of, of hovels out, uh, you know, built on wooden, on wooden piles. Um, are we going to get that restored at all, or is it just going to shift back to Dale? Or all, is is the is the cause it looks like the whole population is coming up to Dale? Right. In, in that clip that we got in the trailer, which again is interesting, we're getting a we're getting now a bunch of refugees coming up to the mountain um, instead of moving away from it, as we saw at the beginning of film one. Um, so instead of a, an army marching on the mountain, we're getting all of the refugees coming up to the mountain. They don't do that in the book. They stay down by the lake, the refugees. Um, uh, but but it looks like that's... So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to be getting all of the people up in Dale and then rebuilding in Dale, even, even sheltering for the winter in Dale. Um... Which, which I think does really kind of, uh, kind of change that. But again, where then does the master, if Lake Town is not going to be restored, there's no place for him. Um, maybe he's going to die, and we didn't. Re- I mean, I didn't. Well, I wasn't really entertaining this idea in uh, when we were talking about the the um, the destruction of Lake Town a, a couple months ago. But I, I'm sort of wondering now if perhaps. Uh, if, if perhaps the master of Laytown is just going to be killed in the in the fire, yeah, that's what I was just thinking too. I mean, that would be certainly an elegant way of of handling that particular character. I mean, the I, I can't see Jackson following the line in the book. You know what happens to the master um, for a number of reasons. One, of course, is just it's an extra thread that he, is not really needed for the story. But I think you know this bad guy also needs to have his comeuppance. You know, I can't see him living. I mean, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, could there be sort of a forgiveness, you know, to show Bard as being this forgiving king and mm-hmm. saying, you know, we're going to rebuild Lake Town and you can stay the master. But I can't imagine that because that doesn't give the master, giving them a master a reward like that, it's just not, you know, I just don't see that being, I don't see the audience being happy with that at all. Whereas, you know, given how bad he's been, falling under a burning timber, you know, or dying by being, you know, being um, uh, buried in a in a burning building is probably more realistic in terms of how Jackson would would uh, dispose of him. Yeah, I mean, it would certainly be the simplest way to <laughs> to, to, to sew that one up. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and especially if it's like as a result of his cowardice. You know, I mean, again, if we uh, thinking right. back to the discussion we were having yeah. in that earlier episode. If what we're going to get in the attack of Smaug on Lake Town is essentially, um, you know, a, a, a contrast between the leadership of Bard and the leadership of the Master, you know, that's where we will really clearly see, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, you know, that in play. Well, you know, so he, he cowers and tries to hide and is killed as a consequence, whereas Bard, like you know, runs out into danger and stands against the dragon and survives works. I mean, that would, that, that there's a, there's a, there's a kind of poetry to that, which I think would work. Um, mm-hmm. They certainly, 
Um, they certainly, uh, they certainly don't have, I, I, I can't imagine them wanting to do the death of the master off stage, essentially, you know, Bilbo just hearing about it later on. Um, right. That seems unlikely to me. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the, and the thing is, and this is, you know, I've been saying for a while, I don't know, I don't see the role of the master. If the master is involved in the siege of Erebor, he's going to have to be. I mean, if all of the people from Lake Town are going up, if he lives, he's going to be there, you know? And he's going to be claiming authority, especially since, of course, the authority of the master over the people is far more absolute in the film than it is in the books. You know, he's like an elected official uh, in the book. Whereas in the in the in the film, he's the opposite of that. Right. I mean, like they're talking about having elections and he's appalled. Right. Um, So he's 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 an autocrat in the film. Um, so there's no way that he, if he lives, is going to be rescinding his position. So more and more, I'm kind right. of thinking maybe he is dead because he wouldn't even be leading the people to Dale. I mean, why would he lead the people to the ruins of Dale? Um, right. Whereas Bard would, that I could see, you know, the refugees all following Bard up, up to Dale. Um, now more and more, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of cheering for his death but maybe I don't know maybe he's shamed uh, you know maybe he's shamed I don't shamed see and, yeah. I don't see it, like I think you just said this kind of in his character arc I don't see a turnaround you know I don't see a no he's not going to be redeemed no I don't see that no I don't either um, I don't either. You know, he's too thoroughly despicable for that. I mean, it's yeah. not like Thranduil, for instance, right? I mean, Thranduil's a right, jerk. Right, exactly. But he has exactly. good qualities. Right. <laughs> Probably. And we can see a redemption in there. I mean, his son may catalyze, yeah. Yeah. you know, something. Yeah, yeah. Even, or the death of Tariel or whatever. You know. Exactly. Well, even the way that Legolas has um, served in the first two films as a mm-hmm. kind of representative, right? You know, in, in, in the way in which Legolas seems to be basically of, you know, like-minded with his dad, uh, in film one and film two, but he's like being talked around by Toriel. So we see starting to waver. Yeah. We see him being open to these different ideas and to changing his opinions on things. Um, which suggests that maybe Thranduil with whom he was like-minded might do the same thing. Um, Mm With uh, with the master, there's there's no there's sense no, no. of anything like Unless that. Unless Stephen Colbert shows up and tries to talk him out of it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I I don't know. Um, I guess I could imagine the master being shamed and no longer in a position of authority, and the people all saying, "We will have King Bard," and Bard saying, "Let's go to." Uh, to Dale and the master and or Alfred just trailing along behind and and sort of scheming and being like and you know, trying to assassinate Bard or something to regain his position over the people. I mean, I guess we could get a subplot like that. It's hard for me to feel like there's room for a subplot like yeah, that in this film. Yeah. But well, like Tobias, Tobias was just saying, couldn't the mayor pull a Thranduil and race up to Erebor to claim the treasure? I mean, I think that's totally believable. But again, I don't know that there's room. In the yeah, in the it just it's, of the story. 
It's uh, it just gets back to the problem we've been talking about for years, which is how are they possibly going to do justice to the Hobbit story in only three films? You know, that's that's uh, <laughs> been one of the running concerns of this podcast uh, series for a long time. Um, and I think that most of the people, you know, uh, around the world share our concern. And that was, I know, the reaction most people had when they heard the announcement that it was going to be three films is how can they possibly do justice to The Hobbit in only three films? But, uh, and I'm joking about that. Sorry. I should, the, uh, yeah, I'm going to put on my sarcasm. Uh, 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 yes, this is, he's being light. sarcastic. Yeah, so I'm being sarcastic. But, but, uh, but, but, a couple, but, uh, yeah, a couple people have brought issue. up Alfred as being a, a, a potential um, uh, means by which the, the mayor is either betrayed or, or killed. And that's yeah. a possibility. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yana was talking about it, you know, the, the sort of a Grima moment there, and, um, and Sandra. Sandra's talking about the implications. He he's being manipulated by Alfred. So yes, well, he yeah, and he he's manifestly being manipulated by him uh, in the second film. Um, yeah, yeah. Philip Lord makes a good point. It would be great to see him die because of his greed somehow, rather than just cowardice. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I would accept a death from cowardice. I would also prefer a death due to greed. Uh, but how it's to be contrived. Um, That's interesting because it would actually be an echo then of the whole dragon sickness issue. Right. You know, when Warren and his hall of gold kind of thing. So right. I could see Jackson doing something like that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's of course the role it plays in the book. You know, he's brought yeah. in and remember right. he's brought in at the very end. I mean, Bilbo right. is told about that in the final tea time conversation he has with Balin and Gandalf <laughs> in the final pages. Um, so the death of the master is like one of the very last things we learn in the last two pages right. of the book. Um, but when it, when we do learn it, it is it is it is given as a point of contrast, right? We're, we're, we are told two things. One is about how well the treasure has been used, um, you know, to to you know for Dan to build the support of his followers and to bless uh, the 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 region around him and how great wealth and prosperity and harmony has grown up. Um, you know, in the now green and lovely valley that used to be the desolation of Smaug. So that's, you know, you sort of, in, in, in one sense, you sort of file that under the good uses of treasure. And then at the same time, we're told about the, the master of Lake Town running off with the money and dying in the wilderness, abandoned by his, by his followers. Um, that's the bad use of treasure, right? And, you know, it's, it's a right. clear contrast, right, between the one who is, who has the classic dragon sickness, not only the desire for money, but the desire for money, which is thinking only of yourself, right? The, the pure selfishness of dragon, uh, of dragon sickness. I want to keep it to myself and run away and hide it all to my own um, at the expense of other people. That's the true dragon sickness. And again, the, the contrast to that is the generosity with which the treasure is distributed and used for the benefit of everybody. Um, so yeah, it would be nice to see the master, you know, in something like that kind of role. But um, I, 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 as I said, I, I certainly it's not going to be done that way. You know, we're not going to be hearing about it in the final two minutes of the film. Um, no. <laughs> you know, uh, in 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 retrospect. Uh, so um, so I don't know. Um, I like Robert Brown's idea, Coin Avalanche, which <laughs> Coin gets. Me- and then I add, which then gets melted by dragon fire. Right. There you go. Right. 
Ah, encased in molten gold. That would be a Very gruesome cool. death uh, uh, for the master of Lake Town. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be a singularly gruesome death, actually. But um, yeah, probably maybe too much for for this PG film. I probably so. Probably so. Yeah, uh, Philip was saying like uh, uh, Viserys and. Game of Thrones. I was thinking of the same thing. Um, I, I don't, uh, and, and ex- it's exactly for that reason that I don't think we're going to see that in the second film. I don't know that they're going to want to uh, recapitulate the, the crowning of uh, uh, yeah. Viserys scene uh, in uh, what is certain to be a PG 13 film. Um, anyway, um, so. I expect the restoration of Dale under Bard. I don't know. I'm not sure that we're going to get the rebuilding of Lake Town. Um, I think it's going to be mostly about Dale. Maybe we'll get the rebuilding of Lake Town, but I, I but I'm not I'm not at all confident of that. Um, I'm not confident that the master's going to survive Lake Town, and if he does, I think he's going to die um, ignominiously perhaps even still before the battle maybe in the battle but um but i don't know um maybe he's going to betray them i don't know i mean how would he communicate with azog in order to betray them to the to the goblins yeah. I, yeah. I i get all of the, the any 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 role i think of for the master of lake town seems to me fraught with difficulties but um yeah. Now, Gabrielle has a really interesting thematic suggestion. What if we see the Master Sickness before Thorin as an example for the audience? Um, certainly, the Master already exists as a counterpoint, right? You know, we have um, we have a very bad leader. He's not a king officially, but he's a king-like figure. Um, he certainly seems to uh, take to himself a kingly authority. Um and uh and he's right in the middle of the you know Thorin returning as king and and so so he 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 already serves as a, as a kind of a counterexample um Thorin here's what you shouldn't be like so Gabrielle I can see that in some sense um but again I just don't know how or where they're going to have time or um uh yeah yeah not sure but um um but I certainly think the restoration of 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 Bard and Dale is going to be is going to be important. Now it's interesting because we haven't had um yeah I sort of wonder how much of it we're going to see. Dale was, you know, the focus in the in the beginning of the of film 1 was very much on Erebor and Dale we only saw, you know, scenes of like right before the dragon destroyed it. You know, we never really saw Girion other than when he was shooting the 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 ballista at the dragon. So, um uh, it, 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 we don't have the kind of iconic mythic images of the King of Dale that we were given, you know, of the King of Erebor. Um, so it's hard for me to imagine, you know, like, uh, you know, an Aragorn-like coronation ceremony for Bard or anything like that. You know, I think instead it's going to be about the restoration of the city primarily, but... Um, yeah, Philip says in every trailer. Yeah, apparently we're gonna we're gonna get that destruction. <laughs> we're getting good usage out of that destruction of Dale footage. Um, but um, but yeah, so so I, I do think um, you know where that's going to end up. I you know I think is certainly to me the mo- the more important thing is about the relationship between 
um, between Bard and uh, um, and the dwarves, you know, the sort of the restoration mm-hmm. of that. And, and, you know, sort of where the prophecies go. Remember the prophecy, uh, the cheerful prophecy of Lake Town was turned into a prophecy of doom in the second film. That was one of the, one of the alterations uh, from the book that I found most striking in the second film um, was the prophecy of doom. Well, the dwarves have now been the instrument of the prophecy of doom. We don't have a prophecy of the restoration of happiness to the kingdom. So, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm going to be interested to see how that how that kind of plays out. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bridges that are going to need to be built there uh, between right. between Bard and the dwar- and and the dwarves. Clearly, um, the other area um, that will that we need to think about, of course, is Mirkwood and the Elven King. Right. Um, right. In the book, it's relatively simple, right? Um, the shadow on Mirkwood has passed. Um, Gandalf comes bringing the news that the necromancer has been kicked out, so the goblins have been pretty much wiped out and the necromancer has been removed. Um, And so the elves are prepared to live... Well, they perhaps are wise enough to know that they won't quite live happily ever after, but they'll live happily for a long time. Um, You know, and the elves depart... um, The elves depart the Lonely Mountain cheerfully you know knowing that uh that the 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 greenwood is going to return now and uh um you know and that it's it's going to be it's going to be happy for 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 a long time um and um that i think is you know so i mean the the actual the actual sentence here from the book the elf host was on the march and if it was sadly lessened yet many were glad for now the northern world would be merrier for many a long day the dragon was dead, and the goblins overthrown, and their hearts looked forward after winter to a spring of joy. That's where the elves end up in the book. Looking forward after winter to a spring of joy. Uh, can't imagine it being that cheerful in the film. <laughs> uh, Thranduil, no, definitely not. Yeah, Thranduil is a little concerned, it seems, about the return of Sauron. Um so that's going to be a little cloud on the horizon on the spring of joy, clearly. Um, but here, what we've been set up for, it seems, in the films has been that, you know, change of heart on Thranduil's part. You know, that... Um, again, I keep going back to the uh, the the conversation with Tor, you know, Toriel's this is our fight speech, right? I mean, you know, that... Um, that conversation seems to me to be a pretty clear indicator of where the elves need to go, you know, of what Legolas and Thranduil both need to be convinced of um, before the end of this film. And, uh, and, um, and that's the sort of the, the change of heart that I think Thranduil is going to have to see. This is one of the reasons why I was really fascinated in that first trailer to see those solo moments from Thranduil, you know, um, I wouldn't have been shocked to see action sequences of uh, you know like you get like the one shot of the dwarves charging over the hill on their on their mountain goats right uh, and then to see like the el the elves charging over the other hill on their army of moose like I, I, that I would not have been shocked to see that in the trailer. What I didn't expect to see was Thranduil in ruins. Apparently, the ruins of Dale. Um, right. 
uh, uh, fighting against a horde of goblins by himself. That by I, himself. I, I, I don't understand um, where that comes in or where this is where this is headed. Um, but anyway, as I, I, I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm very mystified by that. Um, but the fact, at the very least, it seems like you know he is certainly going to stop his isolationism and is going to take seriously this, uh, uh, this issue, you know, this, this, this problem, and is going to be taking action himself. Um, again, apparently unilaterally. That's I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. Um, but. That seems to me to be the overall trajectory. Now, where does this put this in relation with their neighbors? I think it puts them in a more proactive relationship. Again, that we're going to see them join the team. You know, the, we're going to see the Wood Elves join. You know, be be consciously teaming up. Um, you know, with Bard and the Men of Dale, and with Theoe, presumably, and the Dwarves of Erebor. Um, be, uh, yeah. You know, so that we 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 can see the you know the seeds of the future alliance that's that's right. going to be now uh, for the future. That that is where I suspect the Elven King is going to be going, and that's a very different direction from where we see the Elven King going in the book. Ooh, Daniel asked an interesting question: Is it possible the white jewels that necklace will be given as a gift to Bilbo by Thranduil, which would be an echo of the book, right, or the other way around? A reversal of the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, Bilbo Bilbo is given. This the, the 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 concept for the white jewels um, that Thranduil has referred to several times um, in uh, uh, in the second film are um, uh, clearly related to the the white gems that Bilbo gives to Thranduil, which are a gift to him from Dan. So Dan gives these to Bilbo as a parting gift when he leaves, and then Bilbo almost immediately re-gifts them to Thranduil. Um, and uh, th- that seems to be the... the, the that would be awesome. The root of it. Yeah, I... I um, but see... It's complicated by the fact that it's such a big deal to Thranduil. I mean, if Dan or Fiwi or whoever gives these to Bilbo, that's a insult they would after do the it battle. That it's, yeah. You know, I mean, here's Thranduil being like, all right, you know, we've helped each other. We've kind of formed an alliance here. Can I get my freaking gems now or what? You know, <laughs> are you still going to hold out, you know, on, with my gems, you know, you skinflint jerk? And if, uh, if, the, if, the, if the king of the dwarves responds to this being like, now the elves are our allies and we can bury the hatchet. So I'm going to give his precious white gems, which means so much to him, to Bilbo. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, how could you do, I don't think you can do that, can you? So but, the other way around would make more, I mean, it would be make more sense in terms of being a, a symbol of Thranduil's change, you know, making Thranduil's change complete, that he gets the gems himself and then gives them to Bilbo. Right. I right. don't know that I necessarily see that happening, but no, I can't imagine. I mean, because like Bilbo's sense. not going to keep it, right? I mean, what's I no, mean, right. you, you, Bilbo might refuse it, but um, but uh, Philip says it does make sense if Billy Connolly is on the throne to do it that way, <laughs> right? <laughs> I refuse to. I refuse to think of Dan as a jerk just because Billy Connolly's a jerk. Um, 
I, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying and trying. Would be unrecognizable as Billy Connolly, thank heavens, with all the prosthesis and makeup. So. Yes, yes. Uh, I am trying and trying to, uh, to, to, to not let Billy Connolly taint Dan's character in my mind. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm trying. Um, well, I, I yeah. would say that I think it's safe to assume those white gems are going to show up in some form or another, yeah. right, in the movie, and have some meaning into as far as what happens to them. Yeah. Um, the, at, at the very least, it'll be Feely or whoever, you know, giving them to Thranduil, saying, hey, I think we owe you these. That might be, that might be the, 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 you know, the, the full extent of it. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is that in the book, that exchange between Bilbo and the Elven King um, is a big deal for two reasons. Um, one is that it's the place where Bilbo is named an elf friend, um, which is a big deal. Um, but more importantly, for Bilbo's character, um, in the that is for the Bilbo's character trajectory in the published Hobbit. This is the moment, that's really the moment where his burglarious career has its conclusion. Um, the giving away of the Arkenstone is the culmination of his burglarious career. But there's still a loose end, which is that although he, you know, he is a burglar indeed when he takes the Arkenstone and then he shows himself to be an honest burglar when he uh, gives the Arkenstone up to Bard in chapter 16. But there's like still something on his conscience, which is that he was living for weeks in the Elven King's halls and burgling him constantly. And so uh, he's an honest burglar in almost every respect, but there's still one respect in which he's still a dishonest burglar. And that's with the Elven King. So there's something Bilbo clearly still feels he's got to patch something here. So he gives this gift to the Elven King in payment for all the you know the food and drink that he stole from the elves while he was in while he was in Mirkwood, um, that's not necessary now. There's not really any kind of connection. There needn't be any kind of connection. But I mean, they were only in the Elven King's halls for like forty five minutes in the film, and uh, and it's not obvious that Bilbo burgled anything. I mean, he let the dwarves out of prison, but I don't think he's going to apologize for that. Um, so I I I think that um, the entire setup to that, to me, if Bilbo and Thranduil have an exchange like that, um, you know, that's like the book in the film. Um, I think it's not going to work. I mean, I, yeah. I, I I'm not sure I want that to happen. It's it doesn't. Yeah. It's not going to fit into the story, in no. the film story. Um, I don't know. Um, it, it, at least it's going to be awkward. Maybe something is going to come up between them in the third film that will make something like that make more sense. But. Well, I know. I mean, at this point, they don't even know each other at this point no. in the movie. No, I mean, I mean it's, the only interaction of any kind that they've ever had is that scene when Bilbo is, like, uh, snooping on him and Toriel. You know, that scene where where... Bilbo thinks, you know, he's standing there invisible and he thinks that, that Thranduil is talking to him, right? I know you're there and, and everything. That's, but, that, you know, that's hardly a, you know, any kind of a personal connection. Right, right, exactly. But, 
Yeah, I, I, I uh... like Bilbo might come up and say, "Well, I know I, you don't know me, but I know you." Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, Philip says he can apologize for setting the prisoners free, but I, why? Why would he? I mean, Thranduil needs to apologize to him for holding his friends captive. I, I, I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think there's anything to apologize for there. Um. So, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, in some ways, I, I'm not sure I really expect that scene to happen. I don't, I don't expect there to be a scene between Bilbo and Thranduil, necessarily. Um, and, you know, maybe, but, um, but I'm not sure I really expect that. Um, a, last, uh, a last piece of... Um, um, t- t- two last things to talk about here. Um, one, another piece of aftermath is Bjorn. Remember what right. happens with Bjorn uh, in uh, in in the book. He returns and he's all cheerful because he's killed lots and lots and lots of goblins and uh, and and he he returns in very in merry mood uh, and then he starts to bring the woodmen together and he becomes a lord of the woodmen. Um, he builds you know a people the people who are called the Bjornings um, in the Fellowship of the Ring. You know, there in the Vales of Anduin, um, next to the Misty Mountains, that can't be what's going to happen in the book or in the film, right? Because we have Bjorn as completely isolated in the film. You know, all of his people have been killed. He's the last of his kind, and there don't seem to be any other people living nearby. Um, so, I am not sure what kind of resolution there can be to the Bjorn story. Um, I mean, one thing to say, of course, is that we saw so little of Bjorn um, in the second film, at least in the theatrical release of the second film. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping for more Bjorn footage, obviously, uh, in the three yeah. to four hours of additional footage we're going to get in the extended edition of The Desolation of Smaug. But, um, uh, but still, I mean, there wasn't there wasn't that much. But yet, what there was still it seems to me to demand resolution, right? You know, we we hear about his tragic history. We see, you know, him. He still has the chains on his wrist. You know, he bears them in memoriam of of the you know of his uh, family that's all been killed and 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 everything. Uh, you know, defeating the goblins is going to give him a little closure, perhaps. Um, but are we going to see anything else? You know, are we going to see like Bjorn coming out of his shell or are we going to see, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I, uh, um, it's another thing that I don't really understand the trajectory of. And part of it is that we've only had the one scene, so it's hard to tell what direction it's kind of going in, but thinking about what we got in that first scene, um, I don't know that... I, I don't I don't, I, I don't see how we can anticipate a major change in Bjorn's status. Um, and certainly that region, which we did learn about in the book. You know, when we pass through the region on the other side of the Misty Mountains, we learn about the goblins, and we, we, we have sympathy built for the woodmen, right? Remember there's the there's the raid that the goblins and wargs were planning. They had been mm-hmm. intending to sweep down and annihilate the poor woodmen, and our sympathy is very much rallied to the side of the woodmen in that, but they've been miraculously saved by the fact that the goblins and, and wargs are all distracted by trying to burn the dwarves in trees. 
and um, and then Bjorn is alerted, and um, and then the goblins are all drawn off to the to the lonely mountain and destroyed. So you know, and now the woodmen are saved, and Bjorn is going to join up with them. All of that makes it, you know, but that's not been set up. We don't have anything like that set up. Um, so I guess we're just going to get Bjorn returning to his uh, uh, to his solitary existence. Um, you know, I mean, him after the battle being like, my only reward is that justice has been done and shambling off back towards his house. Um, are we even going to revisit Bjorn's house? Are we going to see it on the return trip? Um, I don't even know. I mean, again, they spend Christmas with Bjorn in the book, right? You know, they, they, they're traveling back there and they spend Yule there and they wait until spring and cross the mountains in the spring. They spend months at Bjorn's house um, on the way home. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily, uh, I don't necessarily see that uh, happening in the film. It, it would seem sad to have no real closure to uh, uh, to, to Bjorn's character, but um, uh, you know, here's uh, here's one thought that I think would be kind of cool. Maybe because we do have that sense. Remember in the book, Gandalf tells about the one time he overheard Bjorn saying, one day they shall leave and I shall return to the mountains. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the closure we get to Bjorn's character. Maybe instead of setting up a kingdom in the valley uh, of the humans, we, you know... Return to the mountains. Yeah, he says, like, now I shall return to the mountains. Yeah. And, you know, so we have Live this idea... Yes, exactly. Now, so, so although he's still alone and everything else, we nevertheless are... Um, are given this sense of closure and, and like now he's happy and he can return and you know uh, uh, he, he's still alone and everything but at least you know he's returning to the mountains maybe they can give some measure of of closure to his story with that yeah that'd be that kind of cool sense. but I can't think of anything more to hope for out of Bjorn's character in the film than that um but then of course the other issue, the 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 larger issue is the Lord of the Rings perspective. Of course, I've been talking about how the endings work out in the you know for all of these different peoples in the Hobbit, in the published Hobbit. But of course, all of this is changed to some extent um, when we look back at it from the Lord of the Rings. Again, remember the uh, you know they look forward after winter to a spring of joy of the elves in Mirkwood. Um, in elven terms, the 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 spring of joy in Mirkwood is going to be awfully short lived, right? Um, and uh, again, in retrospect, from the Lord of the Rings standpoint, they would have known that. Um, so there are ways in which these endings, this sense of the aftermath, this sense of closure that we're given at the end of the Hobbit, is one of the things that really is undermined. Again, not by the choices Peter Jackson is making in the films, primarily, but by the choices that Tolkien made in writing The Lord of the Rings and the way in which now this whole story looks different. Instead of, hooray, the necromancer has been kicked out of Mirkwood and so the shadow has passed, and hooray, the goblins have gone away, so now the elves can be happy again and the peaceful kingdom can be returned. Instead of all that, you know, we get 
the necromancer has feigned to flee, but he's been revealed as Sauron, and so now we know. Now we, we the wise and the elves and everybody, all know that Sauron has returned and is building his forces again, and evil times are a-coming. Um, you know, that's that's where, you know, from you know from the 1940s and 50s onwards, that's now where the end of The Hobbit goes. And so the rosy picture that we get at the end of the, of the, of the published Hobbit is no longer relevant. It becomes a piece of parochial thinking on Bilbo's part, because Bilbo didn't understand the story. So when he wrote The Hobbit, you know, he gave it this, you know, he, he, he believes, as he tells Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, that books ought to have good endings, so he gave his book a good ending, right? He, he, he wrote in these happily ever after endings, but that was largely, again, retro, retroactively, it's just because he's ignorant, right? He doesn't know what's coming. And he doesn't understand, um, so he wrote it as if everybody was going to be happy, but it, but they would really have known that it's not going to be. Um, so, how are we going to see these things connected um, in uh, in 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 the Hobbit film? How are we going to see these things come out? And this brings us to our riddle to for riddle! today. Yay! Yes. Um, do you want to share I the will riddle? Launch the riddle. Okay. Yes. All right. So our riddle is, what is the attitude about the future in the Erebor region after the battle? Um, A. Now, in the Erebor region, uh, we're not talking about the White Council here. So we're not talking about Gandalf or Galadriel. We're talking about, you know, the dwarves and the men and Thranduil and the elves. Okay? Um, A. They think that peace is here to stay. That's the book answer, right? It's it's a spring of a spring of joy has come. That's 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 option A. If you think that everyone is going to be all cheerful and basically either ignorant of or totally ignoring um, uh, the, 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 the bad times to come, that's A. That's the book answer. B. Sorry about the clipping. Oh, yeah, it's I'll clipping. give you the end of it as you read it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone believes it is the beginning of times of war and, and they must make they must make preparation right and they must make preparation right so so yeah so basically everybody at the end is saying okay we won and that was good but now but that was only a rest you know we we have but gained a respite and we must now prepare ourselves for the right. for the war that is coming is that going to be the attitude um is gandalf going to be able to convince them is you know thranduil knows that 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 you know, Sauron is arising. Gandalf is going to come in and confirm it. Um, when they win, it, you know, is there going to be that kind of an ominous ending? Like, okay, we won and and we're now in peace, but it's time to prepare for the War of the Ring because it's what well, they wouldn't call it that yet. But you know, for for the onslaught of Sauron that will surely come in times to be. That's the B answer. If that's going to be the attitude at the end, C. They recognize the possibility possibility of war, but they're not making preparations, right? Right. So, they're not making actively making preparations, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're not making so so basically at the end they're not really cheerful. You know, they're not they're not, you know, just just totally optimistic and being like, It's now a spring of joy. But they're uh, 
but they're also not like, now we must brace and prepare. It is time to arm ourselves for the war that is coming. You know, they're, they're just like, we shall be vigilant. And if something happens again, you know, perhaps war will come again. You know, Sauron may attack us at some day in the future. But uh, when that time comes, we'll prepare for it. So again, it's not the sense of like, and now we must prepare for war. Um, so it's not naive, but it's not, um, it's not in concrete preparation against that day. D is there's a strong division of opinion. Now, I think there's likely to be... I doubt everyone is going to think and say exactly the same thing. Um, but a strong division of opinion would, you know, so like Thranduil is saying, like, we must prepare, Sauron is coming, and, right. you know, Dan or Feely or whoever is s- sitting on the throne of Erebor is like, you know, no, whatever, I think we're fine. I don't, you know, so there, there would have to be like active disagreement about it among the leaders of the, of the peoples of Erebor. And this is, people are asking this question, the they actually does encompass the dwarves, the men, and the elves. And yeah. really, I think what we're probably talking about really is Thranduil, Bard, and whoever's on the throne of Darabor. Yeah. yeah. Is who we're really going to see these opinions come, those are the mouths that these opinions will come through. Yeah, 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 I would think so. Um, so, so yeah, so, so D is that, you know, there is a strong division of, of opinion among them. E is none of the above. The primary none of the above answer that, uh, that Trish and I had thought of is, um, uh, that we never find out, you know, we, right. we never even really get that, that Jackson never really addresses it. We yeah. move straight from the death of Thorin, you know, through like, uh, Bilbo waving goodbye and, and, uh, you know, maybe we get some visual images of the reestablishment of the kingdom, but we never really get any further discussion. And again, and, and Jeremy, yes, this does not include Gandalf. Right. Um, and I was going to say, I mean, we, we thought about actually the white council being, the focus of the riddle but the thing is we just have a hard time believing that they're not going to be aware yeah that there's bad times coming so you yeah. really couldn't make a five answer riddle out of the white council right now the fact that they may here's the thing though they may not share their thoughts with any of the Erebor people um so that's kind of where this riddle comes from you know it's possible gandalf does in which case maybe b is the answer but it's also possible he doesn't say anything because he's got too many doubts to really voice anything, in which case these three peoples are kind of left on their own to make their own decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sharon Hoff asks, which answer do we choose if some are wary and some are completely clueless? Um, again, I, I, I would say it, would, it depends on how... Um, it depends on how... Uh, sharp you think the distinction is going to be between them you know if 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 we have some people like if we have thranduil and the elves saying we must gird ourselves for war and prepare for the onslaught that is to come and the people of erebor being like hooray the wicked witch is dead and uh you know uh and everything is is peachy that sounds to me like d um but um um, if yeah. if maybe on the other hand, I suppose uh, I suppose something could be if Thranduil goes back to Mirkwood and actually doesn't voice his opinion until he's back in his own stronghold. Yes, it could be an E. I mean, that could be an E because we're not hearing from the other two contingents, right? Right, right. Conceivably, yeah. I mean, we'd have to decide that. Of course, you know, there's going to be uh, yeah, we 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 all of us will have to have, will will have to have some fun discussions uh about our interpretations of the film in order to decide which we think is the correct answer at the end of this um 
But um, yeah, I think it makes more sense right now for for you to decide what you think the most likely scenario will be, and then see which of those fits into one of these five categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather exactly. than trying to think of every possible eventuality. Yeah, one of the one of the sort of presuppositions, really, of uh, of the question is that there is going to be at least a measure of unity among the people of the Erebor region after the battle. You know, that, that, that one of the consequences of the aftermath of the Battle of Five Armies is going to be a close alliance and friendship among the dwarves, elves, and humans. So, of course, if you think that's not going to happen, that, that would be none of the above, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so that's that's why we, we you know we have sort of couched this riddle in terms of what is the attitude of the region going to be. Um, so now Chuck Snow asks, you know, if we see the image of of Sauron at Barad-dûr is that E? Not necessarily, because the people in Erebor may not even be aware that Barad-dûr is reactivated. We may have you know you, we, that. I would imagine that would be made clear. I mean, I would think it's more likely we'll see that thing. If we see the eye come, you know, get turned on and the switch flipped, it'll probably be at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Like an ominous portent kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Sauron holding his ribbon cutting ceremony around Baradur right. while the, right. while the, while the Nazgul <laughs> all stand around with their, with their black billowing robes freshly pressed. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, but that to me doesn't, whether or not the, um, or rather the extent to which the audience has the presence of Sauron revealed is to me actually kind of irrelevant to this question. Right, right. Um, because certainly, again, uh, certainly the White Council, especially Gandalf and Galadriel, are going to be pretty darn clear about the fact that Sauron has returned and what this means for the future. Um, uh, uh, Gandalf and Galadriel are obviously going to be in a B frame of mind at the end of this film. Um, and presumably we will hear conversations between them. So we, the, the, the viewers, will be placed in a B frame of mind um, at the end of this film. But the question is, what are they going to think? What are the, what are the, what are the, the, the dwarves and elves and, and men in the Erebor region going to think at the end? Now, Halstein says, if Saruman convinces the White Council to put a lid on Sar- to Sauron's return, and so everyone else thinks it's okay, and E, not necessarily. I mean, I would say if Saruman has convinced everybody of that, it could very well be an A answer, because yeah. we're looking specifically at the Erebor region. Yes. So the men, the elves, and dwarves of Erebor. And they, if that's the case, then they'll think, oh, good times, let the good times roll. You exactly. Know? The a, you know, a, B, C, D, all of those options, we're not, we're not attaching how they came to pass to this riddle. Right. The question is just, what is their state? So if Saruman convinces them all to, to clam up about it, and like basically the people are bamboozled directly or indirectly by Saruman into thinking that the spring of joy has come for good, um, that's A. The answer's A. You know, um, I... So yeah, how how these things are brought to pass are, is not the riddle. The riddle is what is going to be their state. And the reason I think that it's an important question is it it has a lot of impact on the end of the story. You know, what is the right. end point of the story? The end point of the Hobbit story is a happily ever after ending, right? It's a it's a restoration of peace in the kingdom. You know, we get that we get that balance between the 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 renewed wealth and and happiness of of the Vale. 
um, you know, that, that whole, the, the whole area there, counterpoised by the one counterexample of the master, right, to show that, you know, that, you know, the dra- dragon sickness is not totally dead and there will still always be, you know, exceptions to the rule and bad stuff is still going to happen. But nevertheless, by and large, people are living happily ever after. Um, is that the note? we're going to get at the end. Are we going to get a happily ever after note? Now, again, clearly we're going to know that Sauron is coming. We're going, you know, the audience is going to be, is going to be led to anticipate as we would be anticipating whether or not we were led there. Um, you know, the, what happens in the Lord of the Rings and, and anticipating the war of the ring. Um, but, but again, it's about the tone of the end of the film. You know, are they going to get a happily ever after, which will then be undermined by, the private conversations of the white council and, you know, and the knowledge of us of the evil to come, or is that going to be the note, you know, or is it going to be sort of somewhere in the middle? There's a lot of really good questions. I mean, like Michael is saying, you know, um, uh, Thrandall's the only one that we know of in the films that are even aware of Sauron's rise. The dwarves and men don't know about the necromancer at all. How does that affect the riddle if they don't even know? Well, I mean, you know, I could, I could potentially see it. I, I think, you know, there's a secondary thing here, which is what kind of state of mind is Gandalf in when he comes from Dal Guldur? You know, is he, because he could, I mean, even though he's, this riddle isn't about Gandalf, he could influence the attitude. You know, he could say, look, we had a, you know, we had a success in Dal Guldur, but the end is not in sight. We still have war ahead. That could make everybody have the attitude that's in B or C. Right. Um, so it's it's more, uh, you know, I mean, how I, this is actually kind of a challenging riddle, I think, you know, especially with the questions we're getting, because you have to really think in terms of, OK, how do you think uh, where we're where we kind of came from in putting this riddle together is we're now moving toward how is Jackson going to connect us to the Lord of the Rings? Yes. movies? Yes. And this is kind of the beginning of that. You know, yes. how do you think it's going to connect? Are the people going to be left in ignorance? If in which case it's probably a or will there be some influence that will, whether it's Randall, Gandalf, Saruman by proxy, whatever, that will actually have them on their guard at the end of The uh, Hobbit? In other words, not a happy ending, but a, a, a to-be-continued kind of thing. Right, right. And, I, you know, the ignorance of the people I would find very interesting in, in one of, sef- yeah. you know, for, for several reasons. You know, as we've been talking about, if they're left in ignorance, that's going to mean that Gandalf cho- chose to leave them in ignorance. I mean, no, you're right. Uh, you're right, Michael, that the men and dwarves don't know about the necromancer at all. But Gandalf sure does. Um, <laughs> and if he's going to be there, and if, if at the end of the film, when Gandalf leaves, they're still in ignorance, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That means Gandalf's made that choice to do that. I'll be fascinated to see that. Moreover, well, Thranduil isn't ignorant. And right. if he decides not to tell his new friends and allies about that and just goes, you know, I mean, if 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 Thranduil is there with a kind of a strained smile on his face being like, great. Oh, yes. Isn't it great that we have a happy ending? I'm so glad. This is great. Thanks, guys. I'll see you later. And then he goes back home, you know, to meet with uh, to meet with Legolas and Pointing Elf and is like, but now we have to brace for the trouble. dark days yes. to come. Right. But he doesn't tell them that, you know, so that that's fascinating to me, you know, and, and that suggests a clear division there that his ice, that his isolationist policies are not different. I mean, again, that would be him almost deceiving his allies. Like, let me not, not let them be prepared. Um, Personally, I would, if that happens, if they're left in ignorance and Thranduil goes off and is like, let us arm for war, um, we must be prepared. Then I that that to me sounds like D. I mean, there, there's a strong yeah. division of opinion, yeah. not because the men are strongly 
uh, opinionated about about preparing for Sauron. But if they if they believe if if the men and dwarves believe that they're living happily ever after, and the elves believe that they're not, that's a pretty strong right. division of opinion, in my opinion. view. So. Yeah, because the D doesn't necessarily mean that they're sitting at a table having a strong Fighting. division of right, opinion. Right, right, right. By the way, there's another thing that we're I think we're assuming that I don't know that we can assume. Does Gandalf actually leave Dol Guldur knowing that Sauron is still alive? Uh, you know, we don't we don't know how the Dol Guldur thing is going to end. Are they going to be? You know, are they going to be thinking that they've actually done away with with Sauron? You know, blissfully in ignorance of him going to Barad-dur. We don't know that, right? We haven't really touched on that. I certainly can't imagine that Gandalf or certainly Galadriel are going to be operating under the assumption that they killed him. You know, that, I'd have that a they hard just, time I mean, that. there's no way that I mean, Goadriel would. If Jackson does that, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, him, yeah, actually. no, I agree. I, I'm going to be booing at the screen if Goadriel is like, wow, I totally destroyed him. You know. <laughs> did you see how I did that? Oh yeah, God. exactly. That was so cool. I just, wow, I obliterated that guy. See, my dogs, can you hear my dogs? They don't even like that. Right, yeah, exactly. See, they're booing. Yeah. They're booing Jackson. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, no, if, 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 if that, no, I mean, I, I can't even imagine that i i mean goadriel is clearly going to be like you know he you know sauron has escaped and will rise again but they may think you know remember they were in the book in the hobbit book gandalf believes they've defeated the necromancer right so part of the part of the retcon that tolkien does with that moment in the later in in the later um writings <clears throat> is for them to believe that they made Sauron flee. And they don't right. realize for a while that actually that was just a stratagem on his part. You know, he, he feigned to flee to build their confidence, but he was just moving up to Mordor and, and, and moving on to the next phase of his plan. They didn't actually defeat him or even seriously inconvenience him by what they did in Mirkwood. Which is why I was thinking Jackson could go down that road, because right. it's the way it's written the book. Now, remind me, in Fellowship of the Ring, is Gandalf aware, I assume he is, when he does the whole thing with Bilbo and the Ring and Frodo, he's aware that Sauron has risen, right, in Fellowship of the Ring movie? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. In the movie, he talks about, remember, because there, there's the conversation where Frodo's like, but Sauron was destroyed, right? And, right. Uh, and Gandalf right. is like, Which is no, another reason to think that perhaps Jackson may follow the book in this and thinking that, you know, and having the White Council, at least at this point, think that. Right. Well, but remember, Frodo thinks that Sauron was destroyed at the Battle of Daggerlad. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, yeah. the, uh, the that's levels right. of ignorance are even more profound there. Yeah, um, that's right. But uh, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I could imagine them believing that they've really given Sauron a bloody nose. You know that uh, that that maybe it'll take him a while to recover from this. That they've dealt a serious blow to his plans, um, and uh, and you know he's still there and he's still on the rise, but they have some time. You know, and and it's not and it's not urgent. Um, well, you know, Philip Lord actually says Saruman could convince him it's not worth pursuing Sauron, which remember he did do that. It's 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 gone out. To, the ring's gone out to sea many years ago in the first movie, right? So Saruman could say he's so you know the ring is destroyed. It's gone. We've you know we've defeated him to the point where he's just a shade. He doesn't have any pain. Pretty much like what he becomes at the end of the book in right. Return of the King, you know, when they destroy right. the ring. I mean, Saruman could go down that road to where Gandalf does then believe that, okay, Sauron's still alive, but he's just a little 
you know, a little boggart now. Uh, we don't have to worry about them. I mean, that's possible. So, so there is, there is that layer of what do we think is going to be the common, you know, what, what do we think the White Council gonna, is going to have decided at Dal Guldur, and then what impact is that going to have on this riddle in terms of the attitude of Erebor people? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm fascinated by the fact that um, we have a ve- we have a, a a really even distribution. Not not exactly even, but we have a, a a really we do not have a runaway answer so far in the voting that people have been doing. Um, oh, wow, you're right. And I'm really interested by the fact that a lot of people are voting for C. I didn't expect that. Um, because C seems, on the one hand, the most like wishy-washy answer. Maybe that's why people are voting for it. Um, but uh, you say that, but that's been one that's been a high high candidate for me. So fine, thank you, Corey. Well, no, wishy-washy, wishy-washy is defensible. There's no, it's, it's not an insult. I know it. Okay, perhaps that doesn't didn't come out sounding very you know laudatory, but um, but it, it is the neither this nor that answer, right? So. Um, um, well, I mean, for C, you know, one of the reasons I was thinking C, and this might be, those of you that have voted, you can let me know if this is your thinking or not. You know, my thought is we've got that euf- that post-battle euphoria. You know, they've been fighting this thing for so yeah. long. The dragon's yeah. dead. You know, Dale's going to be rebuilt. There's a new king on Erebor's throne. You know, it's like that euphoria. So so there may be a, you know, war may come. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 but we'll think about that tomorrow kind of attitude. To me, that would be a C attitude. Yep. You know, yeah, yes, I realize there might be some logic to your argument, but I'm too happy today to think about that. So that could be a C. That's what the reason why C for me is a possible, a possible. Right, right. Now, another thing to keep in mind, you know, if people at the end of the Hobbit film are like, well, all right, it's a happy ending, right? We we have we have found a happy ending and we're going to be able to live in peace, but Sauron is returning, right? Well, they have 60 years, actually. Um, that's the lifetime of all, you know, none of the humans involved here are going to see Sauron's return, in fact. Um, the actual human yeah, beings true. in Dale... Yeah. Are going to live happily ever after. In fact, their grandchildren won't. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be Bane's son who's gonna die in the War of the Ring. You know, right. it's gonna be Bard's grandson. So, uh, so you know, there is um, the. They would be a little bit. That is, you know, to, to, to Brian say that he was thinking when he voted C. Is yeah. that time gap? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So, so that that time gap would surely be a sort of a justifiable thing. Um, but then that brings you to D, which is, of course, you've got Elsa's much longer memory and and longer lifespans. Right. Which then you could bring up a division of opinion because of the fact that the men are like you know curtailed in the right. time that they're looking at, and the elves are not. Right. Yeah. Um, the men are taking an, you know a, this like a carpe diem attitude, you know, you know <laughs> yes. uh, towards the whole thing. <laughs> Let's just focus on today's happy ending, shall we? And I will leave exactly. you guys to worry said, about what happens next century. And see, Sandra said that's exactly what led her to D is the time gap. So that's a very this is this is a really interesting. You guys are having some really good questions and some very good points made about you know the potential here. Yeah, uh, I like Philip's comment. He says it's like the end of of Star Wars of yes. the first film, right? Vader gets away, but the rebels are celebrating with a medal ceremony, right? So we have a triumphant, happily ever after ending, and yet you know. Vader has escaped, and it's clear that the, you know, the war's not over. Um, 
Of course, now in Star Wars, at least I remember when I saw the very first one, from the Rebels' point of view, they actually didn't know that Vader had escaped. Right, that they think the war has ended? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they think he died in the Death Star at the end of the first movie. Right, Um, right, as why wouldn't they? Right. Um, which which actually still applies. I mean, that still kind of could apply here, I right, suppose. Right, right, right. Um, at least one person, I think it's one person, has voted for E. If you're the person who voted for E, I'd love to hear your E theory. So, you know, put your, put your, put, give us in brief, you know, in a sentence or so, your E theory uh, in your, in your, in the questions box. And, and uh, I'd love to, and while, love you're, to hear. while you're doing that, I'm actually a little surprised that B has only 10% of the votes right now. Yeah. Um, e is, e is, e is the outlier, which isn't a shock, but yes, B is, B is lagging behind right now. We've got a, a, a tight three-way competition between A, C, and D, um, but B is, so, okay, so we need to bolster B. Um, <laughs> let me come up with a B rationale. Well, I mean, Bard is so grim-faced, yeah. right? Bard he, is... He's such a glass-half-empty kind of guy. Exactly. Can you really see Bard, like, being like, hooray, let's, like, throw small children up in the air and celebrate that all merriness and merriment and happiness has come to the valley? Like, it's hard to see, right? He so, would be much more, like... Thank you for this honor of being your king. However, I must now tell you that we need to gird our loins for future battles. You know, right. I mean, I could totally see him being that kind of person. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Especially if, you know, if 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 you know Gandalf, um, um, you know, befriends him. You know. Um, right. Uh, that's that's. Um, uh, I mean, Bard seems like somebody who would listen to Gandalf if Gandalf is going is gonna, to is gonna mention the fact that, oh, by the way, you know, Sauron has returned. And, um, but yeah, so um, uh, yeah, yeah. Kate Neville says she's in the car and she didn't text and I answered and said, ha ha ha, yes, no texting. But Kate, don't read that either. <laughs> You're driving. Don't read anything I'm answering to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I think with B, I think back to our conversation, or it could be my monologue, about Gandalf. I think Gandalf would be the big influence mm-hmm. when on the men and, and the men and dwarfs when he comes. And, and if he is actually of the opinion that Sauron still has, you know, still has power his say, telling them that might, might turn everyone to be that might be what turns this answer into a B answer mm-hmm. um, you know that he actually unites everyone in understanding that Sauron is still a force to be reckoned with that that is how I could see B happening I see that I'm not nobody's buying it because the number hasn't moved on the poll but <laughs> yeah you know I the other thing is that it seems to me um Given the fact that this is essentially a prequel situation, right? Um, you know, this is essentially a. Um, uh, we have, we as viewers have the War of the Rings in mind. Um, there is a. There is a push. There is a push in you know a, a story like this to have a resolution, you know, to have some kind of a satisfying, if not a really really cheerful ending. Nevertheless, still to have a to have a good satisfying ending. Um, but 
the fact that it's essentially a prequel to the Lord of the Rings um, changes that, I think. Now, right. I, here I'm going to do something which I'm very loath to do, but I, I blame it on Philip for bringing up Star Wars. Um, <laughs> uh, and what I'm going to do is what I try never to do, which is make any reference to the existence of Star Wars episodes one through three, which I've been trying to forget exist for several years now. Um, but I will make reference to them, uh, and, and, and I hope that you can all suffer as briefly as possible through the painful memories of episodes one through three um, uh, 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 with me. But the, the point is, the culmination of those is not a happy ending. In fact, the whole point of it is for it not to be a happy ending, right? Um, we, we have to establish the, you know, the, the, the rising of Darth Vader, it's the creation of the bad situation that needs to be removed. You know, the, 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 the first set of films comes to a happy ending, right? But with defeating the darkness. The prequel to the film, which starts with, you know, darkness in power and ends with darkness being defeated, the prequel to that story, by definition, has to end with darkness coming into power, right? Right. So we need to establish you know, the Emperor, we need to establish Darth Vader, those are the end points of the first film. We can have, perhaps, some kind of satisfying resolution, but what the work, the primary work that needs to be done, in as much as it's a prequel, you know, is to establish the reign of darkness that's going to be overthrown. The situation is not quite so extreme in the Hobbit uh, films as prequels to The Lord of the Rings, and yet... The establishment of Sauron with his flaming eyeball in Mordor, gathering his armies and preparing to launch them against the West, that's kind of the end point, you know, that we need to, to get to so that we're ready at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring to launch the Ringwraiths out to try to find Frodo, you know? So there is a way in which I think the B ending, um, there's a reason in which the B ending seems to me more satisfying. It's again it's 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 that's like the rise of Darth Vader ending to the prequel, right? right? <clears throat> it, it would seem to me to be a very appropriate note for the end of the Hobbit uh films if the, if the note that was struck is now we must prepare. Um and you know some people are saying but there's no um there's you know, the point is at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, nobody is prepared, right? You know, they're they're they're. But remember, Erebor is not part of the story of the Lord of the Rings. You know, we're leaving behind Erebor here, and we're never going to hear about Ereb the Erebor region again. So, to to some extent, the ending of the Erebor region in the War of the Ring that we get in. Um, in in like the, you know the very end of the Return of the King and in the appendix of the Return of the King, the very ending that we get for that is going to have to be basically set up. You know this, as far as the overall story of Middle Earth is concerned, the the end of film of Hobbit film three has to be setting the scene for the beginning of the War of the Ring. You know that is not immediately, but is going to be coming comparatively soon. As far as the Erebor story is concerned, it has to give us that in part, but it also has to kind of be able to point to the happy ending that's going to come, not now, 
But then, you know, when Dan and Brand die in the in the battle before the gates of the mountain in the War of the Ring, um, defeating the armies of Sauron and preserving the life of the region until Sauron is destroyed and peace is restored, and, you know, Dan has died and Brand has died, and that's sad, but they gave their lives to preserve their regions, that's when the end, that, that region is going to live happily ever after, um, is after the Lord of the Rings. So, you know, to kind of plant the seeds for that eventual happily ever after, I think you've got to go through the battle. You've got to show that these people are not going to be blown away when Sauron returns. So the idea that, yes, you know, maybe Gondor isn't going to be totally ready. Certainly the Shire is in complete ignorance of what's going on. But nevertheless... We can kind of know in the back of our as we as we you know as we watch the Lord of the Rings films again, we can know in the back of our minds that like, you know, up in Erebor, Feely's got them ready, boy. Like they're 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 gonna they're gonna take them on when they come up there. Um, I think that would be an interesting kind of effect. Um, Michael saying that no, he made no reference at all to the North in the movie. Exactly, exactly. Therefore, the entire not only the setup for the beginning of the of the of the War of the Ring. But a gesture towards the end of the War of the Ring needs to happen. It needs to all be summed up at the end of this film in that sense, if you see what I mean by that. Um, right. So You know, there's another, there's another angle on this question, this riddle, that has nothing to do with Sauron. It could be that somebody says, you know, uh, there are more orcs in the mountains, and they are not going to be happy to let their defeat, you know, here in front yeah. of the gates of Erebor lie. So, I mean, it could, the, the, the preparing for battle piece could have, in the minds of the Erebor people, at least at this point, could have nothing to do with Sauron and, and be more focused on the orcs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's another possibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, possibly. I, I, I still don't see, I still don't see Gandalf um, keeping it to himself. But, um but maybe, maybe. Um, what are you going to pick? I talked myself into B. We haven't changed. Have you? I was going to say we haven't changed anybody's mind on B. I haven't. But I've. I, well, mine, I guess. So, uh, so that's one. Um, <laughs> now I'm going to say B. I'm going to say B. B is what I expect. Do you think everybody will be aligned that it's 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 yep. wartime? Yep. Yep. Well, I, I like that know, best. You're, you're, you're talking about. You know the the analog of the Star Wars films. I think is a good argument for B. Actually, yeah, I I I, I mean it's it's I, I think yeah I think B. I, I mean I can I could kind of like the irony of um of of the happy ending that is the dramatic irony that would result from the people of Erebor of the Erebor region believing that they've come to a happily ever after, and we the viewers. Being like, oh man, they have no idea. Like that, you know that that kind of dramatic irony is good. I mean, I think that that works. Um, but um, uh, but yeah. So I mean, I, I like uh, you know um, Sharon's argument. She says because uh, uh, of the nature of the frame that they're using. Um, it could support the A answer. Bilbo could be entirely oblivious and satisfied that Sauron has been put down. We see him finish his book, close the cover with a satisfactory sigh, um, and then have some foreboding moment of irony. We, the audience, will know that the Battle of Sauron will just be taking off again as the movie closes with Gandalf's arrival in the Shire. Yeah, remember that the frame 
was conspicuously placed, not just at some point in the future and prior to the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, but immediately prior to the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, right? With Frodo going off to meet Gandalf in his cart. So Gandalf is going to be arriving at the house. Um, you know, it, you can easily see the frame working that way, right? Where, like, he closes the book and then we have, uh, you know, Frodo and Gandalf walking in the front door. Um uh, for the you know for the for the part you know for the party preparations, um, and 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 that Sharon it would have that impact that sort of dramatic irony because you're right, it is quite possible that Bilbo is still ignorant because until Gandalf returns and tells them about stuff until Bilbo gets to Rivendell he's not going to really understand, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so I could see it happening, but I don't think I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I see that uh, uh, Gabrielle is uh, responding in horror that uh, she guessed the same thing that I did. Uh, uh, so like, oh no, I'm going to get this one wrong. It's okay, Gabrielle. You can change your answer for the official submission. So yeah, it's okay. You're not locked into agreeing with me. Yeah, watch. You know. A lot of people are going to take this shrewd tack. So, you know, when the final votes come in, um, everyone is going to get off of whatever answer I give, like rats from a sinking <laughs> ship, you know. Uh, so it'll be... It, it, uh, watch. This will be the year of your triumph. That's right. And then the tables will be turned. <laughs> oh, I can't they wait. They give you a certificate. That for says, the satisfaction. Beat everybody in the riddle game. That's we'll, right. We'll have, we'll have one certificate. It'll be your certificate. It'll just be pure gloating. I'm going right. to win now, the thing this now, year. There are a number of open questions here, and I agree with. I'm trying to think who would it be that just asked this because it's off my screen at the moment. But somebody said, you know, isn't Gandalf going to ask Bilbo about his ring, or isn't he going to? If he knows that Sauron's still alive, isn't he going to have some question about the ring? We're going to actually table that conversation yep. for the next episode. Yep. That will, we're going that, to actually we'll talk, talk about that, about next that. Time. Yep. Yeah, next time. Absolutely. But I, I agree with you. I, I, it's, it's, that's still a troublesome for me in the sense of, uh, you know, if Gandalf knows and they think Sauron's still a, a, a contender, you know, then Gandalf would also then just dis- be disbelieving Saruman about the ring, and then Bilbo's got this ring, and so anyway, so yeah. next time. Yeah, next yeah, time. exactly. Here are the results. You see that A has oh, narrowly sure. edged out. A and C were neck and neck with D running a strong third. So uh, the uh, results that we have here, the preliminary results of our live attendees, 34% have said A, that uh, the people are going to think peace is here to stay. 31%, just shy, one person fewer, I believe, has said that they recognize the possibility of war um, but aren't making preparations. <clears throat> uh, 22% think that there's a strong division of opinion. Only 9% agree with me. The percentage went down, actually, since I started <laughs> making my argument. And uh, and uh, one person has voted for E, 3% uh, on E. Um, That's interesting. That's interesting. So. But th- I think this is probably... We haven't had a really good spread like this for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, this is uh, this is this, this is good. So we will be, you know, we'll, we'll have chance to talk about this more, and uh, and it will be very, it will be really fun. I think I anticipate much fun in debating what the correct answer is uh, <laughs> after we've all uh, after we've all seen the films. I haven't um, given mine. Should I just shut up? <laughs> I haven't chosen my answer yet, but I can wait. I can oh, wait. Oh no! Didn't I, I thought you said you were choosing C. No, 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 no. I was considering C. I said it was oh. a candidate. But, but I, I actually, 
especially since we can change our answers, I'll go with C for now, and I'm going to mull it over some more. But I think, I think, uh, I think, I think I did talk myself into it, which is in the euphoria right after the battle. They'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I understand that we have to be worried in the future, but today we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, hold a medal ceremony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll do the old ceremony. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What's so? What's Dave's answer? Oh, what's Dave's answer? Hmm. Should, would Dave go with a book answer? Yeah. Yeah. Or D would strong division of opinion. Uh, I think. Well, I think Dave would either go with a book answer or he'd go with B. But uh, um, he would probably go with A since you went with B. So he'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Know. So let's, let's, let's put let's put Dave on okay. A. It's a, it's okay. sure a good thing we're allowing Dave to change the answers that we've assigned on PPF. <laughs> uh, that's 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 kind of sporting of us. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. Um, all right, awesome, awesome. Um, well, yeah, next yeah. episode we're going to talk about um, the return journey. Specifically, we're going to talk about Bilbo's character and the closure of Bilbo's character, his return to the Shire. We'll talk about the ring. We'll talk about um, you know Gandalf Lobelia. and Bilbo conversations. Um, uh, so that's what we'll do next time. It will be our final riddle. The final riddle of the year um, will be um, will be next time, and um, uh, and then in two weeks following that, uh, which is I think the first weekend in September, we will have um, be the, yeah, we'll we'll time. have our review episode where we'll go over briefly uh, all of the riddles and, and uh, I, give our final I answers. Think- I think the schedule, we haven't actually talked through the schedule. For the analysis section, if, if you guys have noticed, uh, it, you know, we don't have those posted up yet because I think we had decided we were going to kind of talk, especially given Dave's, you know, we'll have to see what Dave's schedule's like. So we'll be posting the schedule for the remainder of the year in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, probably. it's also going to, I mean, to some extent, we're going to need to be flexible depending on what they release. You know, I mean, there are lots right. of things that we're planning to uh, analyze. We're planning to analyze you know, future trailers. We're planning to talk about, you know, when they release the, uh, the, the soundtrack, um, track titles. That's always a fun thing to look at and talk about too. Uh, the Legos, obviously the Lego episode, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be talking about the, um, the, the extended edition. We'll probably have several episodes on the extended edition. Um, so, uh, there'll be episodes on the trailer. Yeah, yeah, trailers. Yeah, there'll be you know the 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 stills that they release. You know when we get when we get pictures um, that are always really fun to look at carefully. We've done we've done that in the past too. So again, some of this is um, uh, is going to be dependent upon the schedule of when those things are released, and we won't necessarily know those things. Um, yeah, I, I'm betting actually. Yeah, we saw the bridge scene release. I mean, I'm betting that we would probably talk. We, we'll probably have another episode relatively close to the final, you know, review episode. We'll, we'll probably have another episode in September because we do have the, um, you know, the this scene that's been released to talk about at least. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised if we don't have some more stuff show up between now and then. Right. 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 Yep, I agree. Cool. But speaking of final episodes. And under the announcements thing, we do have the final rules in the dark supererogatory coming up. We True. are still working out. We think it's going to come up in the next, you know, like next Monday, but we're not sure. We're yeah, gonna, I we'll think we're going to we're, we're going to tentatively say 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern time on Monday, this coming Monday, um, right. will be our final supererogatory. And it'll be Laura. It'll yes, be Laura, Laura, Laura will be back. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, so we're waiting to hear back from Laura on that, but that'll be and, and actually we're plan- It'll be the final episode, which means you'll get all the conund- all the rest of the conundrum in that episode. So yeah. it's gonna, for that reason alone, it'll be worth listening to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be fun. Um, and uh, in other announcements, um, my class on Dune is running now. We we just had our second class on Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, that has been a lot of fun. We've had a we've had a really good turnout for that class so far. Um, I I strongly recommend uh, you joining in with that if you have a chance. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, so we're we're we're. Um, uh, you know, that's gonna again. That's Wednesday evenings at nine thirty p.m. Eastern time. If you can join us live, um, so uh, uh, I definitely encourage you to to um, to come in, to come in with that and, uh, uh, and and join in. So thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, yeah, yeah, good, excellent. <laughs> uh, so thanks. Oh, I, well, I do. Can I say one thing? Yeah, I, I want to remind everybody that the early bird pricing for MythMoot oh, yes. expires at the end of this month. At the end of August, yeah. So August thirty first, yeah. So be sure if you are planning to come and have been sort of trying to budget for it, the um, the early bird pricing expires as of August eleven fifty nine Eastern Time, August thirty first. Yep, 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 yep. Agreed. Um, uh, great, great. So thanks for listening and Godspeed.